Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Hello and welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Curveball. I'm your host, Curveball, and today we are joined by Mike Cameron. He is an author, a speaker, an athlete, and a businessman. Mike, thank you for joining me today. Hey, my pleasure, Curtis. Great to be here, man. Well, let's start off telling people a little bit about yourself, where you from, how you got started, and anything else about your life that you might want to talk about. Oh, man, we could go so many different directions. I live up here in, uh, in Canada, in Edmonton, Alberta. So kind of north, uh, where the winters are real, real cold. Well, I know that you're an athlete and you have done marathons. So let's talk about the, the marathon that you do and what's the purpose of it? <laughs> what's the purpose? You know, that's, it's funny because a lot of people, you know, have this thing that, you know, you're crazy, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not running unless I'm being chased. For me, the, the purpose, so I, so I run ultra marathons. So I did my first marathon back in, in 2003. And then uh, ultimately, when I split with my, my wife in 2012, I kind of, I was looking for a bit of an outlet. So I ended up diving into triathlon and did my first Ironman in 2013 and kind of evolved from there and, and moved into the long distance running. So now when I'm at my best, I'm, I'm running 100 mile ultra marathons. So the purpose for me is really, it's, it's just about getting out there and sort of pushing your limits, uh, taking yourself sort of as far as you, you possibly can and, and seeing what you can come up with. Let's talk about some of the books that you've written and do you have any new projects on the way or anything that you're working on right now? Yeah. So in November of last year, I published my first book. It's called Becoming a Better Man. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. And that was kind of the culmination of, of a five-year project. Actually, actually, it was probably a little more than that. What originally started as a, a business book, Actionable Insights, uh, 30 Days to a Better You became this Becoming a Better Man when I really reflected on my own life and what it meant to me to be sort of that best version of myself. So really, the book is, is my story. It's my journey of trying to become the best version of me. It's not sort of a, a prescriptive preachy book dictating how you can become a better man. It's more about some of the trials and tribulations that I had along the way. I had, I had, I've had sort of three fairly significant life events, you know, sort of dating back to when I was 16 years old and all the way through into, into my forties and, and sort of documented each of those and some of the lessons that I've learned along the way. How do you feel that emotions impact the way that we show up in the world? Ah, yeah. So when I first started my business career, I, I literally started bagging manure. Uh, I worked for a garden supply wholesale company when I was 18 years old. And as a uh, uh, high school dropout, I, I was a bit of a, I was a, bit of a, a shit disturber when I was a teenager and, 
and, and didn't uh, continue with my studies and, and dropped out of high school. So, I, so my, my prospects for, for jobs were not awesome. And I ended up working in what was called the soil plant at a, a garden supply company. And, and I literally started bagging manure. And eventually I worked my way up into the warehouse. I started driving a truck. Ultimately, I got into the sales game. And, and what I learned there was kind of my first foray into the fact that we, we make decisions based on emotion. And what I realized is that people that buy steer manure, they don't buy steer manure because they want to own a bag of crap. They buy steer manure because they ultimately want that feeling they're going to get when they plant that beautiful garden, when they grow that beautiful rose bush. And I started to realize that it's not the thing that we buy so much as it is the feeling that that thing gives us. And eventually, you know, I kind of moved through the ranks and I got about as high as I was going to get in that organization. And I ended up playing hockey with a guy that was having lots of fun, making lots of money, and he was selling financial instruments. And so I asked him, you know, how do, how do I go about doing that? So he gave me some, some tips and uh, long story short, I ended up moving into uh, the finance world. And again, the same thing, what I started to recognize is that the more of an emotional connection I could make with my customers, the greater likelihood I had of selling them on my services, selling them different financial instruments. So I really kind of dove into, you know, the impact that emotion has on human behavior and as a, a salesman, how do I work that? How do I, I don't want to use the word manipulate because that's not really the right word, but it's really about how do I make that emotional connection with my customer in order to serve them better? And I really worked hard at that and I excelled at, at, uh, in business. Ultimately, I went on to start my own firm. And as a business leader, I, again, very quickly recognized that my staff, my team, my employees, they responded better. They showed up better when they felt invested in the organization. So again, the, the more depth of feeling I could give them into belonging to the organization, the better they performed. And therefore, as a result, you know, the, the better we all performed uh, as an organization. And what I came to, to realize, again, is, you know, this started as we buy on emotion and we justify it with logic. And ultimately, as I sort of studied the science and I observed human behavior, I realized that as human beings, we in fact make decisions based on emotion. And the more I dove into that, the more I realized, you know, if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive the decisions that we make, we have zero chance of living a fully awakened, a fully purposeful existence. So I really started to dive into the impact of that, especially on men, because, you know, us guys were, were actively sort of discouraged from exploring our feelings, exploring our emotions. And this concept really came to a head for me in October of 2015. In fact, it was October 2nd of 2015. My girlfriend, Carissa, woke up at my place. She was a yoga instructor. She taught uh, at 6 a.m. 
uh, every Friday morning. And so this particular Friday morning, she woke up at, at five, got up, got dressed, came around to my side of the bed and uh, gave me a kiss. And I said, have fun at yoga and rolled over and went back to sleep. And I got up about an hour later, came downstairs, made some breakfast. And about 10 after seven, as was our custom, I shot her a text and I said, hey, how was yoga? And she didn't reply. Not really out of character because while she wasn't a huge talker, she was an incredible listener. And as a result, would often get drawn into these long conversations with students after her class. So I didn't think too much of it and kind of went about my morning. And as I was about to hop in my car to go to my first appointment at nine o'clock, I still hadn't heard back from her. So I shot her another text, hopped in the car and um, gave her a phone call. And the phone rang and rang and rang and ultimately it went to voicemail. And so now I'm starting to feel like, you know, this just isn't feeling really right. So I went into my, uh, my appointment came out around 10 o'clock and still hadn't heard back from her. So I was driving to my next meeting and I gave her another phone call. And again, the phone rang and rang and rang and rang and rang and ultimately went to voicemail. And, you know, now I'm getting that sort of, that feeling, that pit in your stomach when, you know, you know, something's just not right. And, you know, I'm trying to sort of ignore it and trying to justify it and trying to explain that, you know, it's, Obviously, there's a rational, logical explanation for the lack of response. And uh, went into my 11 o'clock meeting, shot her another quick text. I said, hey, let me know you're doing all right. I'm starting to get a little bit worried about you. And nothing back. Went in, finished my meeting, and, and the, the guys I was meeting with, we ultimately agreed to go across the street for lunch. And as we were walking into the restaurant, as I was walking uh, in, into the restaurant, and the hostess was about to seat us. My phone rang, and I looked at it, and it was a blocked number, so I answered it. And the voice on the other end of the phone said, uh, "Is this Mike Cameron?" And I said, "Yes." And he said, "This is uh, Constable So and So. I I don't remember his name, but my heart just sank." And I practically screamed into the phone. I said, "Is she okay?" And he says, "Where are you?" And I yelled it again. I said, is she okay? And he says, where are you? We're at your house. We're coming to you. So I told him where I was. I turned and I walked out of the restaurant. I don't think I even said two words to my guests. And I I stood at the curb and I, I waited for what felt like an hour. And it was probably 10 minutes. My house wasn't far from where I was. And this unmarked police car pulls up across the street. So I start walking across to, uh, to see them and they meet me. The, the one cop meets me in the middle of the street. And after identifying who I was, he said three words to me that would ultimately change my life forever. He looked me in the eye and he simply said, Carissa is dead. Shot and killed by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life. We make decisions based on emotion. This was a man that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. 
and for me, you know, it really just brought it all home, brought this sort of understanding of the importance of diving into how we feel, looking at the impact that our, that our own personal feelings have on the behaviors we take, the things that we do, the decisions that we make. And, you know, I had many friends surround me at that time and, you know, without fail, they'd, they'd tell me to, to be strong and, uh, you know, pat me on the back and tell me, be strong, Mike, be strong. But I got to tell you, Curtis, I, I didn't want to be strong, man. I, I wanted to curl up into a little ball and I wanted to cry like a freaking baby. And while I love them for their intention, it just, it makes me sad that our Western culture's version of strength is to avoid, to suppress. You see, true strength isn't about avoiding suppressing or remaining stoic in the face of our emotions. True strength is about having the courage to sit with, feel, observe our emotions and learn from them what we can because only then can we start to understand those feelings that ultimately drive those decisions we make. And for me, you know, I had so many people that wanted me to go after the justice system. They wanted me to look at, you know, how do we build a better restraining order? Because she'd done all the right things. She'd filed all the right paperwork. She had the right restraining orders. Uh, but of course, you know, that's just a piece of paper. And for me, it, it really came down to how to build a better restraining order is like putting a Band-Aid on a ruptured jugular. And what I realized was the more important question was how do we prevent men getting to that point in the first place? And that's when I really started diving into some of the work that I do now working with men in particular and uh, literally creating spaces for men to practice feeling to get vulnerable and to share. Well, how do you feel? First of all, my condolences go out to you um, for what happened, but how do you feel like men in particular can find purpose so these type of things won't happen in the future? Well, again, it's, it's just, it's about taking that time and having the courage to really explore what comes up for us. So I use the framework, I use an acronym, SOAR. So slow down, S, slow down. Practice that pause, just take a breath. You know, in this world, we move so fast that we tend not to see anything. We're always so busy, busy, busy doing that we forget about the being. So slow down. And the O in SOAR is open up. And that's kind of twofold. One, open up yourself to what's really there, to what's coming up, to what's emoting, what's starting to bubble up within you. 
open yourself to that. As guys, we tend to want to push that down. Holy crap, Curtis, there's a feeling coming, man. I better shove that down. Open yourself up to let it come. And then A, accept that. Whatever you're feeling, if it's anger, if it's sadness, if it's shame, whatever it is, just accept it. You know, we often get into this, you know, I, I, I shouldn't feel bad. I've got so many wonderful things. Why do I feel bad? And then we start beating ourselves up for feeling bad. And we start feeling bad for feeling bad. And it becomes this spiral, this cycle. Or we get angry for being angry. And it just escalates. So just accept it. And once we've done that, when we've slowed down, we've opened up, and we've accepted then we can start to reconnect with that deeper version of ourselves. We can reconnect with our purpose. And that's when the magic starts to happen. And when I talk about open up, the second part of that open up is to share. And just to create space for others to share as well. You know, I run, I run a, a men's group called Connected Men. And we get together once a week. And like I said, we literally create a space where guys can practice feeling. You know, I think it's widely accepted that if you and I want to get physically fit, if we want to get stronger, we know we need to go to the gym a couple of times a week. Yet, what do we do for our emotional fitness? And the answer for most of us is absolutely nothing. We don't have the environment. We don't have the space to practice feeling, to practice exploring our emotions, to get vulnerable with one another and actually share. And when we can do that, when we have the courage to do that, to really look in the mirror and see what's inside of us, again, that's when life starts to come alive. There's this richness of experience that comes when we can cultivate that depth of feeling. And it's just an incredibly powerful thing. What is your view on toxic masculinity and how does that play into leadership? Yeah, you know, I, I really dislike the term toxic masculinity because I think it's so misused and misunderstood. You know, I don't think there's anything inherently toxic about being a dude, um, having a beer with the boys, scratching your nuts in public, you know, all these sort of guy things. I don't know that there's anything inherently toxic about masculinity, but there are certainly some traits, some of these stereotypes that are potentially toxic. Like I said, burying how we feel. You know, we can avoid and we can suppress all we want, but the reality is it's coming up one way or another, whether we like it or not. You know, for some, it's, it's uh, insomnia. For others, it's rage. For others, it's substance abuse. You know, we find alternate ways to deal with those feelings that we maybe haven't dealt with. And when it comes to leadership, Again, it comes back to this ability to feel and have empathy. And, it, you know, I really wrestle with this. There's, there seems to be this, 
feeling this instinct that anytime we talk about vulnerability, it's seen as weakness. Anytime we talk about empathy, it's seen as weak. But the reality is from a leadership standpoint, and as a guy that's run a, you know, we were $10 million at our peak. So from a guy that's run a, a large organization, I can tell you, I get more productivity out of my team when I'm empathetic than when I am dictatorial. So imagine the case, you've got a, a team member who's maybe underproducing at the moment. There's a couple of different ways you can come at this. I can come at you, Curtis, dude, what's going on, man? Like, you're better than this, pick up your socks. We need more out of you, we expect more out of you. And I can come down hard on you. And how are you gonna feel coming in the next day? It's like, oh man, here we go again. I'm gonna get beat up. Whereas if I come at you with empathy and I say, hey, Curtis, dude, what's going on, man? Like, you're better than this. What's, what's going on in your life? What's happening? Clearly something's going on. Is there something I can support you with that's going to get you back to the levels that we know you can do? You know, now how do you feel about showing up for work the next day? Absolutely a whole lot better than when I come at it from this sort of, you know, traditional style of leadership or quote unquote motivation where I'm going to yell at you to pick up your socks. I just think so much of the model of leadership that we've always adhered to is broken and there's a better way. And we really need to start embracing that. How does reconnecting with your own emotions play a huge role in enhancing your external relationships? Oh, yeah. So for me, I truly believe that the quality of your relationships is the quality of your life. And when we can have a deeper connection with self, that allows us to have a strong connection with others. Like think about it from a, a relationship standpoint. If you can be open and vulnerable with your partner and be real with them, the depth of connection that happens is unbelievable. Rather than you putting up this mask, this facade of who you think they want you to be, like that's just not sustainable. And if you're with somebody that wants you to be something else, somebody else, that's not a good formula for success. But when you can truly become comfortable with who you are, the good, the bad, the ugly, the hard, the soft, all of it, and then you can really show up in those relationships. You know, my, my partner now, Michelle, and I, we have this thing we do we call forehead time. And it just kind of evolved. And it was, you know, I, th I think one of us was having a bad day and the other just went, you know, we went forehead to forehead. And we just kind of stood there for a minute, connected. And we didn't say anything. And we just connected, touching foreheads. And it became this thing that we did. Anytime we needed a little bit more depth of connection, anytime we wanted to feel a little more connected with one another, we could just say, you know what, babe, 
I need a little forehead time. And the other would know exactly what we're talking about. And then we could just sit together and go forehead to forehead. We didn't have to explain anything. We didn't have to explain we were frustrated with our day. We didn't have to explain something pissed us off. We just got to be connected. Do you have anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to talk about? Yeah, again, I I think just that, you know, if there was one thing people would take away from this, it's that S in sore, that slow down, the practice, the pause. There's so much power in slowing down. And it may seem counterintuitive, but in fact, we can often move faster through life when we start to slow down. You know, if any of your listeners out there are hockey fans, we often, here in Canada, we talk a lot of hockey. So we often talk about, you know, gripping the stick too tight. When our, when our quality players are just not having a great game, we talk about them gripping the stick too tight. They're putting too much effort into it. And sometimes we can just get more done with ease than we can with effort. And when we practice that pause, we take that breath and we just slow down a little bit. It allows us to see things so much more clearly. It allows us to maneuver so much better, so much more efficiently and ultimately faster because we do it right the first time more often than not. So yeah, if there was any one thing your listeners were going to take away, it would be to practice the pause. Give us some contact information for listeners who might want to connect with you, maybe on social media or website or something like that to keep up with you. You bet, Chris. You guys can find me at uh, mikecameron.ca. All of my uh, social links, my Facebook Instagram, LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff is, is off of there. So it's, again, MikeCameron.ca, because I'm up in Canada here. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Cameron. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Curtis. It was my pleasure. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream. dream.